Benovia are Kanagara, so are chamo vedsa lingeng asi uji so oamen tahuga sao verten. Welcome to Con Langry, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With me is my beautiful co-host in England, Bianca Mangum. Hi. And my inimitable co-host, William Annis. Yadder, hey. <laughs> okay. I'm not in Wisconsin. <laughs> All right. Yadder hey? What yeah. is that? That's hello. Oh, okay. In what? In, in Wisconsin, in the Wisconsin dialect of English. What? I, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Is that something from German or something? Uh, yeah, German has a lot of influence on the local variety of English. Yes. Like around these parts, when you're at someone's house, you say they're by someone's house. I'm by Bob's. That's straight out of German. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, lots of interesting things about Wisconsin, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> William Annis is... <laughs> I'm sorry, that was the weirdest thing to say ever, wasn't it? Okay. Um, did either of you guys hear about this this crazy analysis that supposedly says the first language was SOV. Yeah. I've not had a chance to look at it. I'm not sure I buy it. So what first language then? I can't access the original paper, but people who I trust who who've analyzed stuff find it to be pretty much BS. And I very much am annoyed by every single headline being first language may have been like Yoda's speech, which Yoda's speech is not SOV. <laughs> it's something much goofier, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think we could say that could lead us in fact directly into our main topic today, which is alien languages. So, a lot of conlangers might want to sort of go a little bit of a sci-fi route with their conlang and construct a language that's for extraterrestrials. And really, we're let's not talk just about extraterrestrials, but sort of, quote-unquote, alien beings, you know, weird spiritual entities or whatever, something that's not human. So, I don't know. I mean, there's good examples of this, and there's bad examples of this, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I think the bad example I can think of right now is Klingon. It's a good example. So let's talk about what... I had a good example, and I forgot it. Let's 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 think about what Klingon does for a second. So there's different ways that people handle this sort of thing. So 
Klingons sort of at, in one part of a spectrum. Sort of at one end, you actually have Na'vi, which is basically a human language that happens to be spoken by blue-skinned aliens. They have exactly the same, at least language production psychology, exactly the same airway and all that stuff. All the same organs. On the other end of the scale, you have things that are completely weird, languages that are based on um, bioluminescence, languages that are based on alien psychology that humans could not possibly learn, things like that. Klingon is somewhere in that middle area because it probably more towards the human side because all the features it has are human features but they're but they're either very rare or they wouldn't occur together. So it kind of adds up into something sort of odd. Yeah. So the the the, the big question for me about alien languages, why would you make alien languages in the first place? So you could do it as a sort of a thought experiment to imagine a species that I don't know squid with extra tentacles, and they have some sort of nine-armed sign language from squid creatures on some foreign planet. Okay, that might be interesting. And then the other thing is has to do, as you say, with sci-fi and fantasy writing. So, for me, no one cares about those languages except the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> so I sometimes think people get a little goofy about those. Most readers don't care. And, you know, if you're, if you're trying to write a story or novel about a language, that's going to be a really hard sell. A few sci-fi authors can get away with that, but most people can't. And for me, personally, I get cranky about this because as far as I'm concerned, you know, 99 times out of 100, an alien, whether that is an elf or a Minbari, is a stand-in for a particular conception of humanity. It's a foil for humanity's foils. <laughs> The author is playing with something that has to do with people. So a truly unspeakable alien language is of no interest. Uh, well, sometimes, though, the sort of thought experiment... Sure, I'm saying within fiction, no one cares. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes you get the... I think you're kind of underselling because there are, is going to be a segment of the population that it's such likes... such a small segment. But... Too small to celebrate. <laughs> well, is the only reason for uh, writing a book to sell to millions of people? You have to sell to some. You have to sell it to at least someone or else you're the only one reading it. Well, I don't know. I... <laughs> See, I mean, you can't do... Right. If there are people who want to invent languages to put them in books, that's great. Obviously, and, and we've been taught this by recent movies and books, you can't do Ugu Gaga anymore. You can't. Not after Klingon, not after the Lord of the Rings films, not after Avatar. You have to do better. 
right? So thus we get things like Dothraki. Fine. And, and then you're going to have a very small number of people who might go on with that. But it's like my friend who's obsessed with, you know, the details of film production, people who care about swords. For an artistic production, a language is just set dressing. It may be very skilled set dressing, um, and it may interest people outside of that. But I, I sometimes think some people become so obsessed with creating alien languages and worrying about their alien languages that it's out of proportion to the needs of the book or books or stories or movies or whatever it is they're doing. Okay. Well, okay, then... I'm going to get hate mail for this probably, but that, that's how I feel about it. I haven't gotten hate mail yet. I don't think you have to worry. Okay. I don't necessarily disagree with you. It's like I don't want to, though, discourage people if people, if they want to, well, though. I think you have to get to the point where it's like you have to write the book or you have to do the language. If you're letting the language get in the way of the book and the book is a priority, then you have a problem. Yeah. However, if you have all the time in the world and you're happy to make the language for the book, knowing that maybe only one out of a million people will even care, then that's fine. But it, at the same time, if you're writing the book, I wouldn't get too hung up on the language. Well, I don't know. See, my languages I intend to include in a book, in books eventually. And I mean, I have one novel I want to write that I want to create several different languages for. Which is fine, but if you have all the time in the world. However, if your main priority is the book and not so much the languages, then having the focus on the language may stop you from moving on. Right. I mean, this is part of the whole world-building process that people go in for for certain kinds of fantasy and science fiction, which may involve a certain amount of background work, but I don't know that some of the work that goes into imagining what a truly alien language would be like is, is, is linguistically interesting. It might be mostly human-like and have a few interesting twitches to, to bring some point to the story, and that I can understand and see. But I have to confess, I'm never, I've never been very patient with this sort of sitting around and, and, and navel-gazing about what a truly alien language would be like, because we have no point of comparison. And a book about, and, and a novel or fiction about things that are utterly alien is of no interest to a human being. Well, one that, um, my example that I can think of, of an alien language in a book that is a, um, that is sort of just a thought experiment that might be interesting to people is, um, and I haven't actually read this book. It's in my Kindle, which uh, I need to get replaced because I stepped on it. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I've heard some good stuff about this, that um, in China Mievel's, um embassy town, yeah. there, yeah, there is a... And he didn't actually construct a language for this. Right, and this think. is typically what happens, is, you know, we have plenty of sci-fi authors who are very language-focused, 
But then you start to go digging and you realize they've not typically constructed entire languages. Yeah. So China Miaville says really bizarre things about language in one of his novels. So I've not read the most recent one, so I, I can't speak to that. Certainly some of our, our grand old dudes of sci-fi or grand old women in some case, um, uh, Frank Herbert is completely language obsessed, but mm -hmm. never gives you examples of this language or almost never does. Um, what's his name? Elron Hubbard, unfortunately inherited some weird ideas about language. Um, yeah, but L. Ron Hubbard, I, I've read Battlefield Earth. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, Heinlein, Frank Herbert, um, I mean, something like uh, Strange in a Strange Land, Heinlein. He says all sorts of things about the Martian language, but he never created it. He just uses it as, as a starting point for discussion within the book. Um, Frank Herbert learned about general semantics at an impressionable age, and he says all sorts of things about language. Obsessed with language. He never invented a language. Um, C.J. Cherry does a really good job, I feel, um, in conceiving of alien languages and mentalities and how those things relate. And she even managed to get away with an entire series of sci-fi novels about a linguist dealing with aliens. Mm -hmm. um, I think I had that dream. You had the dream that you were a, a, a xenolinguist? Oh, no. It was more like Indiana Jones. It was cooler. <laughs> but it worked. Yeah. Um, what was the last one I was thinking of? Ursula K. Le Guin sometimes obsesses about language. and I'm clearly at a disadvantage here because I don't read any of this stuff. Yeah, well. Yeah, Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin has a little bit of a of language obsession sometimes. Um, so... It's it you we can't know obviously what an alien being a non-human being would talk like what their language instincts would be uh, what what kind of universes they would have so basically if you actually want to do an alien men mentality it might be a good just a good idea to experiment with these sorts of things. Like, um, the example I was about to give was in this book, Embassy Town. I haven't, yes, again, I haven't read it, but everything I read about it was saying that in the these creatures have no division between uh, the symbol and the concept. So their words are the same as thoughts. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes with that, that they cannot lie and stuff. Obviously, a human being could not learn a language like that. Yeah. That makes... See, this, this is my point. The idea that symbol and signified are identical is idiotic. You can't have a language like that because we don't have infinite brains. No alien creature could. Mm -hmm. You can't well, talk about anything that does not exactly does not actually exist in front of you. That still is an enormous range of things. And this idea of aliens who can't lie is very, very popular idea in sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, my I have to actually read it because yeah. <laughs> well, right, <laughs> a bunch of people a bunch of people have said that he handled it well, so I have to, I have to read it eventually. Okay, but, well, he, he's usually a good bet for reading anyway, but. Mm -hmm. I but 
Yeah, it is. And uh, I've heard him in interviews, and he said that that, that kind of thing, that, um, yes, this kind of language is basically impossible on the face of it. But it's sort of, it's a thought experiment. The same way in which, like, Frath is sort of a thought experiment of what if you had aliens that that had a language instinct that constructed something similar to a computer language with stack-based syntax and all this. Sure. Uh, in, in one of C.J. Cherry's novels, um, in the Chanur book, she has a race of creatures who produce... Uh, a matrix, a word matrix, um, which no one can understand, so it has to be filtered by a computer, and you get this, you know, 10 by 10 matrix of concepts organized in some way, and you're supposed to somehow interpret what that means <laughs> and, and interact with them. I mean, that seems an unlikely evolution to me, but it's an interesting idea. And again, and that's all she does with it. She doesn't go into, she does not bother to invent syntax or anything like that. She just lets you be confused. Um, which, honestly, I think sometimes when dealing with aliens and alien languages, that's the better way to go. One thing that you actually noted in your notes, William, was that a specific trope that people invoke in here was, uh, invoke that you think is just ridiculous is oh, pheromone right. languages. So, uh, <coughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, so... We can expect that if aliens produce language, that it's going to involve some production mechanism that humans will not be able to reproduce. So that's already artificial, the idea of humans speaking this language. Sounds, airstream mechanisms, all sorts of things that, that are not possible for humans. But it still might be sound. So sound seems an obvious and convenient place to stick your language. Gesture and sight. Obviously, even humans can manage that. Sign language works really well, and there's some people have speculated that human language may have started that way first with sign and then sort of sound came along with. Um, maybe something like squid creatures, which have very sophisticated um, chromophores on the surface of their bodies, could produce language that way with patterning in you know, what starts out as camouflage or, or mood could be focused into something linguistic. This would make great idiophones. They would make great idiophones. Um, right, anyway. And then the, the, the thing that drives me bonkers is this idea that critters might communicate by smell. Yeah. Because it, it's just idiotic. It might add nuance, but to have a means of communication which will only work if you're downwind of someone in, a, in the appropriate breeze makes no sense. Second, how do you evolve chemical phonemes? Right, your sequencing is already screwed up because you, you have to rely on wind or whatever. You'd have to have a, lot, a great deal of control in order to develop any kind of linear segmental system, wouldn't you? I don't yes, even and if know it... smell receptors are even... <sighs> like, sight has different receptors that track movement. I don't know if, like, smell receptors and even, like, animals with more powerful senses of smell are adapted in such a way to organize it. Yeah. Um, 
the problem with the, the the problem with using smell, okay, is that smell just diffuses into the air, the surrounding air, right? And you would you just smell whatever smells happen to be in the air around you. And it's gonna hang in the air for a while. So constructing any kind of structure building any kind of structured sentence is going to be difficult because you can't have like a, a time linear production. Right, and, but even if you decide that you don't need a time linear production, you just send out different puffs of chemicals to, in, in some discernible sense, some discernible way, although how, you know, right, well, just imagine that it's possible. For that to work, you would have to evolve an enormous chemical arsenal that's true. You need a huge, you need a lot of different pheromones. You would need, effectively, you'd need organs to produce, to store, and to secrete a, an entire range of chemicals. Yes. Not just one. I mean, with, with arms, you already got your arms. They're already there waiting to do things. You can wave them around to send messages. We already make voices. We can change that in, in some flexible ways to communicate a message. I have a hard time seeing complex messages being even possible chemically, whether that's scent or in, in either air or water. So I just think it just seems unlikely to me. Even if we're talking a very minimal phonology, that's still going to be a lot of distinct chemical signatures that you're going to have to make. Yeah. And and one, one windy day will screw it all up. I'm going to say, see, so... Some of my earliest, con my, my first conlang and a couple of conlang sketches that I've done were for alien species. But what I did mainly was, what I constructed were effectively human languages, but I sort of did a little bit of thinking about physiology to, to make small deviations mainly in phonology. So, like, a, a creature that has um, a very underdeveloped nasal cavity or a nasal cavity that's, that, that um, is isolated and can't be used for language would have no nasals. Sure. A creature that has no lips has no bilabial, no labials at all. Stuff like that. And there's the f a few additive things that I did to creature with a syrinx can easily produce two tones at once, so they have a weird double tone thing. Sure. But sure. That's about as far as I went. Otherwise, I just kind of assumed that either they had the same production system as a human, or it was analogous enough that I could deal with it with just IPA symbols. Yeah, there are even a small number of human languages that don't have any labial sounds. Um, and so that's the sound thing. And some people get really obsessed with that. But frankly, the more interesting question is what they say and what additional messages, you know, come along with basic utterances. Right? In English, it's possible to say almost anything without locating it in time. In 
Japanese, you can't say anything without locating it in a politeness spectrum. What would it, you know, a squid alien care about? That would always be marked somehow in the language. That's the more interesting question. That's the interesting question. That's the question that you want to de deal with with thought experiment type deals. I don't think that if the language is not the focus of your story, I don't think people are going to really care about. Uh, I'm I'm coming more over to your side on this now, William. That. <laughs> so there's a there's an touch that C.J. Cherry uses in the Foreigner books, and that is the Atebi are completely creeped out by odd numbers. So you you avoid saying things in certain ways to ensure that you get an even number out the other end. See, I read one of these books. I I caught on that they had weird numerology, but I didn't really catch that. So again, it's not obsessed over, but it becomes one of these things as... I mean, the whole series of books is about the interface between human and alien in the first place. Um, so, you know, that becomes a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Right? Set dressing. Yeah. And, um... Without, without, without creating a grammar for such a language. And it's in the middle of also a whole bunch of odd cultural things that they developed and such with their, like, their herd mentality and all that. Or, I don't know, really understand what, what their culture was based on. You know, it's been a little while since I read that. Yeah, Cherry can be tough to read sometimes. She, she definitely can be challenging. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we've pretty much exhausted this topic, to be honest. It is, I'm going to say, though, um, as as much as, as William is hating on, on things, don't be discouraged if you want to do this sort of thought experiment stuff. It can be fun, and it, I'm sure it can be fun in its own right if you have the right mind to deal with it, but, you know... A lang you can have a language for aliens. You can have an alien language. What you choose to do depends on what you actually want out of it. So And how much time you have. So why don't we move on to our featured conlang today, which is Evisedian. So um, Evisedian... I don't see the name so, of the author on here. T.S. Have I got this right? Yes. Yes, T-E-O-H. Teo. I don't know if that... Has this person been active recently? I think I recognize this name from the Conlang list, but I don't I don't think I've seen it in the last few years. Mm -hmm. So... So I don't know if it's a man or a woman. Uh, so just go with man. <coughs> this grammar man. is percentage-wise here. Yeah. This the reference grammar is beautifully laid out. It's kind of weird. The language itself is very bizarre, and some of the things that um, some of the ways, like. 
Bianca was Bianca, you were complaining that he they use a non standard way of presenting the vowels and consonants of the language. Which, you know, it's a tangential Yeah. I mean maybe he has a reason for it, but when we go through and we have to read a bunch of these, it, once you get used to reading, like, a vowel chart in the order that you normally see a vowel chart, you're able to process it a lot quicker. With this one, I actually had to go through and look at them, and I was quite confused for a while about, like, what the different sounds were, because they were in a different order. Like, I was thinking <clears throat> the actual orthography was the IPA for a while, and then I was like, this isn't right at all. I was very confused for no good reason. Yeah, so just keep that in mind when you look at the grammar here. Um, I'm I'm one who likes to look at whether the the where things look at the balance of the phonology and stuff, and that kind of threw me off at first. But um, and the romanization system is odd because there's like a few random Greek letters thrown in there. There's no Greek. Oh, I guess there, well, we, which one's Greek? Isn't that one a lowercase omega? Oh, sure. Yes, it is. Yes, it and is. And then there's an iota. Yeah. It's kind of an iota. <laughs> and then it has the slash o. Right. Well, that's not Greek. And no. uh, backwards epsilon. And a backwards epsilon. Yeah, I don't. I am especially baffled by the choice to use a dotless i in a romanization because it does not contrast with some other kind of i. There's just i. That's the only one. It does not need to be dotless except to accommodate accents and long vowel marks. It, 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 it's just. There's a lot of things. Turkish is the language that originally had the dotless i, right? Yeah, but it. it didn't I'm not even a fan of it in Turkish work. Trust. It, it just looks so goofy. I'm like, oh, someone forgot to dot the right here. Kerplunk. That's all I feel when I see it. There's a lot of uh, things in this language that baffle me. Like, for example, the gender. He uses a lot of very um, non-standard term terminology. Which makes me think that he's trying to write these this grammar from a world internal perspective. I'm thinking that this is like the traditional grammar. I'm not so sure. This feels like when I started writing my grammar, I use a lot of non-standard terminology because I don't care about terminology. So I think something up and I name it what I think it should be. And then I go through and figure out what it's actually supposed to be called. I think this might have been the same kind of thing, where he thought of something, and he gave it a name. Well, this could be some things. And and there's some things that, like his ca- these cases, I don't understand. I've never seen before. Right, and George, you made this, this comment in the notes, that if we gave these cases the names we would expect, it starts to look an awful like the a fluid S system or whatever we might describe the um, system of Okuna. 
Yeah, that's... Right, so there, there's a, a primer for the language or a beginner's introductory tutorial, which spends a lot of time talking about how unusual things must seem to an English speaker. But I don't think it's that weird. I mean, some of it's a little bit weird, but compared to anyone who's used to thinking about morphism and tactical alignment, blah, 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 which I expect most conlangers have, it, none of this is un... Yeah, I, I was thinking that because, like... His, the his receptive case basically would map one almost one to one to Akuna's dative. Right. So. See, I was just saying it should be. Just yeah, I'm not sure about the originative, though. But it, it could be mapped to something possibly. I'm just thinking that the that there's a lot of. There might be some unnecessary weirdness in here, and one one very frustrating thing is that um, there's no actual glosses. There's just examples with translations, and some of them are complex. And sometimes you can get away with that once or twice, but consider that this language has. Lots and lots of stem changes and different, you know, affixes and stuff that make it very hard to puzzle out which word is which. Yeah. It is well laid out. I do wish that there were some interlinears to explain some of this a little bit better. Next. Um, one thing that I appreciate is that he... So this is supposed to be a language for aliens. <laughs> um, and one of the things he says is that the these people, the Ebiseti people, like to describe things in triplets. And this reflects itself in conjunctions in the grammar. Mm -hmm. That's kind of nifty. I like that. I like that idea. If you're going to go with alien, let's let's do something like that. In fact, he even uh, has a parallel number system that is in 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 uh, base three. He has uh, a regular number system, which I think is just base ten or something. But he also has a parallel base three number system, the triads. Right. And um, he has a big, huge section on questions which I like I like to see people play with different types of questions though I'm not quite sure where polar uh, or yes no questions are in here um, and he did some interesting things with moods with with modal modals actually he has three different optative modals and three different subjunctive modals. Uh, and he has quite a few genders, which there were good things about it and there were not so good things about it. Yeah, he had I, your typical male-female. He had the epicene, which is neither. And then it had, what was the other one? He has epicene, I think he has neuter, and he has a double. He has a hermaphrodite one. Yeah, he has a hermaphrodite one, which... Yeah. At which point I was like, this is just taking the piss. 
<laughs> I, I had sort of a bad reaction to that. I don't know if it's necessarily that bad, but I have a bad reaction because I see so many um, noobs on the boards put a transsexual gender which then, when they don't understand what gender is, but I don't know. It feels trying too hard to match the gender. Like, this person was studying Spanish and they're like, I'm tired of it always being AOS when there's a lady, when there's a lady in there. So I'm gonna meet for He does mention that it's very rare. So it may just be something that's like restricted very much and is, you know, maybe some, some remnant of something else that got repurposed or something. Yeah, like, he says the usage would be, like, for a couple or for, like, grandparents. Like, I know in English, I get so annoyed of having to say my niece and nephew. I wish there was a word for both of them. Uh, I think yeah. you can do that in Spanish. But yeah, it's masculine. It's <laughs> I, I think part of the problem is the word gender has meanings outside of grammar that have nothing to do with its meaning inside of grammar. Yeah, yeah that happens. People aren't used to it because English speakers tend not to be used to it. Like, yeah. It's a lot to add more, I guess. You're sounding like a Cylon right now. What's a Cylon? Oh or, my god. Jesus, you you sound like a robot. We'll okay. explain it to you later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm just gonna say. I mean, I want to like this language more. There's some things that are vexing to me. Um, there are some really nice, long, juicy examples for different kinds of um, discourse things, which is really awesome. So the inventor of this language clearly knows the language very well because they can produce lots of language fluidly. I will also note that all of the documentation is from like between 2003 and 2005, so I don't know if this person is even still inventing languages. That 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 is a um, useful observation. We you don't know, know if this is happened. They did all of this, they realized there were some errors, and they've been secretly working on a new revision of it the whole time. Yeah. I don't, I totally don't understand what the, 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 the gerunds is supposed to be. It's supposed to be anything that's stative is supposed to be, uh, done with a, a gerund. Yeah, that was funky. I'm not sure if, if they have the right terminology there. However, I will say, for the beginning conlanger, or even the experienced conlanger, looking at this dictionary could be quite interesting. Because it's a well-done dictionary. Yes. Let's let's look at the dictionary for a second. And, and I have to approve, once again, of the use of LaTeX for... Uh, yeah. Yes. Obviously, this is, this is these are good LaTeX documents. Yeah. I've been wanting to do a LaTeX dictionary. Yeah. I got annoyed once again. I saw the uh, the lexicon and it was he calls it lexicon in case you are looking for a dictionary and can't find it. Because some some people wouldn't don't know that word. But um yes, it's very well Oh, this is like better than mine. Definitely. 
Um, this this might help you puzzle through some of the examples that are annoyingly unglossed because he has irregular forms in here. He has um, very good definitions. Um, I'm a big fan of examples in dictionaries, which this one's light on, but the the definitions are detailed enough. It's not like you know a one word a one word thing. So it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And he has, like, he he says, you know, second declension neuter noun, plural, is an irregular null. By the way, null or number? What is up with null or number? What? Mood is people? <laughs> <laughs> no, null. he has a null or number. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, it's a, it's, it's just a way. I think it's just a way of saying not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it's very like no, I guess. odd. I have not heard of that that existing. <laughs> it may be something he made up. So here's a here's a nice bit of semantic spread. This word tweak, which means fragment, shard, nib, or pen. So that, I like that. That's a good mis- mix of. A, a natural but non-English mix of senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. So it has some good points, some bad points, and some weird points. But I think it's worth taking a, a glance at the the uh, dictionary, how it's laid out, at least, and maybe trying to puzzle through what he means by his different cases. Right. That should be someone's homework assignment. Please recast the grammar of Ebisetian in terms recognizable to the rest of us. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think, despite the terminology, a lot of the motivation seems to be like what we've seen in other languages, but that don't use weird... Uh, don't use weird terminology for. I don't think it's as weird as perhaps it wants to be. <laughs> it, yeah, it could it could just be something similar to uh, I'm going to call it for now uh, Akuna Crazy case uh, that um, is just disguised behind unfamiliar terms. But we'd have to really dig down and analyze it before we could really tease that out. So why don't we actually move on to feedback? We've got a lot of feedback today. Um, And first of all, I'm going to say I'm very glad because we have two five-star reviews on iTunes. Yay! Ten stars! (laughs) So I'm just going to read these real quick because I like Yes, because I want people to leave us five-star reviews. So, <laughs> but, well, it helps It helps more people discover the podcast. It's a good thing. I, um, so we have one from Stingerberg says, I'm fairly new at the conlanging hobby, so I don't know much about languages, but this podcast has really helped me. Their discussions of different aspects of language has 
taught me more than I ever learned in my college linguistics class, and their evaluations of created languages helps me see those aspects put in relation to other aspects. Even if you don't conlang yourself, the segments on the parts of language are informational enough to be quite enjoyable. This is always one of the first podcasts I listen to in a week, and that's not just because they're good at regularly up- updating on Mondays. <laughs> so, yes, this guy basically wrote an advertising pitch for us in his Yay, five-star review. <laughs> and then uh, we have our second one is from Halola2. Says, I'm into conlanging and I find this very enjoyable to listen to, even when I'm not doing anything with conlangs. Some of the things said in each podcast inspire me to add to my conlangs. I love it. See, that's my These people are hmm? doing different things with their languages because we gave them a good idea. I like that. Yeah. I, I like when people send an email saying that we inspired them to revise something and, as, and that this is, this is what I want to be doing. And finally, we had a tweet from Patrick O'Callaghan. His, his handle is at Amazon Diaspora. And he actually had a question. He says, have you ever, guys ever experimented in mixing tense and aspect into one concept? I did, and it created a weird point of view verb meaning. Or POV. Yeah. Isn't tense and aspect normally mixed in some horrible conflation? Um, The marking is mixed. He's talking about mixing the meanings. Yes, which I is... I have a very hard time taking the meanings apart. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how you would do this. Maybe if... Maybe if your perfective is also always passed or something like that. But no, that no, would... no, I don't, I don't think that's... I don't... I hope that's not the question. Because the, right. I think we've said enough that tense and aspect are two separate things, but they're often conflated in marking. Yeah. Mixed in some way. They don't always have to be, but they often are. And some languages are tense-obsessed, and some languages are aspect-obsessed. And based on his follow-up statement, or his last sentence, my feeling he's talking about, imagine what would happen if you're not just the marking, but the conception of a tense and an aspect were the same. Mm-hmm. Because of this weird point of view verb meaning, I have a hard time imagining that for the simple reason that it's kind of like imagining what would happen if your demonstrative pronouns and your prepositions were mixed together into one concept. They're doing completely different things. I'm going to suggest, why don't you send us some information on your language, especially the part where you have this this weird... uh, tense slash aspect thing so we can figure out what exactly happened. Yeah, I would be interested to see this. It sounds yeah, to me this like... Is an inter- oh, Go sorry. ahead, Bianca. I was going to say, it sounds like an interesting idea, but I think there's a variety of ways this 
could have actually gone, and it's hard to make a comment without knowing exactly what's happening. Yeah. It sounds to me like you would have all sorts of bizarre lexical effects as well. So, yeah, send us some examples. I'm curious to know how that would work. But right now it just confuses me. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to hear a little bit more about that. A little bit more than you can tell me in 140 characters. But but you can tweet us stuff at, at Conlangery. So we do... I do look at that, even though I'm. I think I am mentioning this quite a bit late. Um, that conlangery wasn't taken. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's a joke. <laughs> of course, I'm kidding you. Of course, it wasn't taken. <laughs> you look up conlang. You have three podcasts that come up. What's the third one? It's it's. Somebody's specific Conlang podcast. I think it's it's uh, defunct, but it was about a specific Conlang or in a specific uh, Conlang. All right, I think you told me this before now. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's about all. I think we can wrap this up. So, William, any words of wisdom? start collecting messages in my own conlang. I think it's what I'm going to do from now on, is come up with proverbs um, in my own conlang, so I'll think of some up. Okay. Bianca. Aw, oh, damn. I had something earlier today, but I forgot, so I guess my wisdom would be not to forget stuff. Don't <laughs> <laughs> forget to remember. Eventually, you guys are going to get this. Maybe I should copy William and just write down a couple phrases. Oh, I've got one. Oh. Tapa li hai tsuk. Which is, cougars are dangerous. Yes, that they are. That is very wise. Is this and... the new modern use of cougar? No. Uh, no. I was actually aiming at mountain lions. Uh, <laughs> it's worth mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> and all our foreign listeners are going to email in and ask what what we mean by that. UrbanDictionary.com. <laughs> all right, and I'm going to say happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org You can also like our Facebook page or follow at conlangery on Twitter. If you would like to contact us with corrections, comments, questions, or suggestions, or even suggest your own conlang as a feature, please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line 304 Eight seven three six two eight one. We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Vidalis. <laughs> <laughs>